Good afternoon and welcome to another Optimal Bio podcast. Today we're going to talk about vaccines, the ABCs of vaccines, uh, nutrition, supplements, and everything you can do in this cold cough and allergy and of course COVID season to make yourselves healthier. Uh, I'd like to, as always, introduce Dr. Greg Brandon back to the podcast, uh, owner of Optimal Bio, and also Dr. Amid, who owns Carolina Compounding right here in Cary, North Carolina. Dr. Amid's kind enough to join us again. Uh, he was on a previous podcast, I believe, back in November. So welcome both of you today. Thank you. Thank you. So let's jump right into it. So uh, Dr. Greg, um, for those out there that, you know, have been inoculated um, with vaccines probably since they've been babies, um, I think we all kind of have a cursory understanding that, you know, if you get a vaccine for a certain ailment that you're in effect protected for life. Um, there's a lot of vaccines that our kids today get that we didn't get, you know, when we were, you know, their ages years and years ago. Um, and I think a lot of us really don't understand what exactly is a vaccine, how does it actually work inside the body and so on and so forth. So in a very simple way for, as we say, ABCs of vaccines or vaccines for dummies, you know, how would you explain a traditional vaccine? First off, Jim, you said the theory that we believe that once you're vaccinated, it's for life. It's actually when you get it naturally immune for life. When you get a vaccine, the antibodies are produced for about five to 10 years. And we'll go over the details. But what a vaccination is, is trying to mimic our body's natural immune system. We have two types of immune system in our body, the innate, which you're born with, and then the acquired. And what happens is our body's wonderfully made. So the innate one has these two systems called the cell mediated and the humoral. The humoral is the antibodies. And there's an interplay of those two when you see a foreign protein, be it a virus, a bacteria, a parasite, or cancer cells, that your body will then learn how to get rid of the bad stuff. So a vaccination is supposed to mimic that. So what they do is they believe you take a, a small part of a virus or a bacteria or a, or a virus that's antiquated, it's not strong anymore. Uh, and you actually inject that into the body, which is bypassing the normal way you get infected, uh, a needle into the skin or blown in your nose. And then what happens is your body sees it, makes a response to it. So when it announces the real one, it could actually have a response to go get it. That's how it's supposed to work. So take like chickenpox, for example, you know, when we were kids, um, you know, we got chickenpox, we got uh, a week off from school, we took bacon soda baths, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, if you got a, had a really great mother like myself, you know, she fed us all our comfort foods and we got a little ice cream and all that good stuff. And then a week later, we were basically bulletproof from from chickenpox going forward. And I noticed that they have a chickenpox vaccine now, which I think some of our kids probably received. Um, so the way you just explained it, if you receive the chickenpox naturally, you're immune for life. Yes. And are you saying that if you get a chickenpox vaccine now, you're not immune for life? Exactly. What's happened is mommies say your, your wife, my wife, we had our children and they breastfed our children who are not vaccinated uh, for the chickenpox. They will get the antibodies called IgA that comes through the breast milk and now protect them for the first year for a multitude of and then gives their body a, a strong a time to build their immune system when they're exposed to the childhood ones, the measles, the chickenpox, the mumps. They will actually be prepared to, uh, again, it's actually healthy for the body to get a virus, healthy for the body to go through this, getting a fever, 
go through the system because now they're immune from that one and also prepared for other ones. And there's a great book uh, by Mr. Uh, Dr. Mockwitz uh, called Vaccines that talks about multiple studies now for the last 40, 50 years. Those who get natural occurring viruses and then immune to it, they actually have less cancers as they age. Interesting. So what about the polio vaccine? There seems to be, you know, years and years ago, our president had polio and, and uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And um, it seemed like it was a very debilitating um, disease at the time. And I remember as a kid, you know, eating a sugar cube basically in school. And then um, thankfully, I've never gotten polio. So um, as it turns out, though, there weren't that many people that had polio at the time. Is that correct? Yeah, the literature actually got 98% of those with polio were just diarrhea. In the intervirus polio is actually on our skin as right now. And one of the problems during that polio epidemic in the sense of a couple of things. First off, as we were doing certain things in the, in the summertime, a lot of the public pools are being squirted with DDT. And DDT weakened the anterior horn of the spinal cord that was now weakened. So if it got, uh, if it got exposed to viruses, it is more prone to having a paralytic event. And also the, then they had the vaccines for other things during that time, that that's how they got the enteric virus into the, into the muscles that got near the nerve that took it down to the dorsal ganglia. Uh, in fact, in the early 80s, late 70s, the state of New York said, well, stop giving kids vaccines in the summertime because there's increased problems with this vaccines in the summertime. So that's a whole different complex there. So, but if you look at the data, polio was going down before the vaccines came up with salt and saving. And the, you talked about the sugar cube. That one, as early as 1961, we knew that it actually increased the actual polio and we stopped using it by 1970. And a side note, that's the one that the oral vaccine is what um, is the one that um, um, the Gates Foundation brought to India in their first year in India, they had over 11,000 cases. So actually India after three years stopped using the oral one again. We can go down the whole path, but the bottom line is, as you said, good hygiene was actually, was actually getting rid of it before it occurred. So when you look at the way the body works is what we try to do is to give our body the things that it does, the supplements it needs to help the immune system fight. And this is a, a, a controversy, Jim and Dr. Mead, for years. Two famous, famous scientists in the 1880s had a debate on this. Dr. Deba Champ, he believed that these germs were always there and a weakened immune system made you more prone to infections. Pasteur believed these germ theories that the germs got you sick. And they debated that. The germ theory won the day, but it appears that you ask the question, why do some people get sick and some don't? When you look at a lot of the data, well, the COVID, for example, the first studies out of Europe showed people with vitamin D under, under 20, and the government recommends over 30. Under 20 had a 1,700% higher chance of COVID, of dying of COVID. Under 30 had a 1,200% higher chance. Above 30, it went to 4,000. So obviously something happens with, uh, we know about the cytokine storm, vitamin D protects that. So there's a lot, we could talk about a bunch of things vitamin D does, which you will doctrinate in a moment. But, but Jim, our immune system is pretty, pretty amazing. It's like a muscle. When it works, it becomes more adaptable. It makes it more beneficial. Again, further diseases. And the big one is cancer. Our immune system is always scavenging the body, looking for bad cells, be it either we formed them or coming from outside sources. So how many vaccines does the average American get today? 
Beautiful. Good question. You and I got four or five. Today, it's actually 18 vaccines with over 79 doses. And they're given a lot of these vaccines in early childhood too, correct? The hepatitis B vaccine is interesting. The study was done in a homosexual community in the, in the part of Harlem, and they couldn't get enough subjects on that because they didn't get a good result. They didn't, they didn't like the shot results. So now they recommended without any studies on brand new babies. And this is very interesting. What's the risk factor for hepatitis B? Multiple sexual partners and IV drug abuse. How many one-day-old babies have those risk factors? So it didn't make any sense to me. Now, here's the problem I have with hepatitis B. The EPA says, our government, an adult male should not be exposed to more than 25 micrograms of aluminum in a year. The hepatitis B vaccine has 125 immediately. And the reason why they got to put aluminum in that is because the dead protein within the vaccine is not strong enough to initiate an um, antibody response. So they have to give what's called an adjuvant, aluminum, which causes the immune system to react faster. Mercury is a preservative, but it also affects the immune system to act to overactivate. So these heavy metals, we'll talk about later with Dr. Mead, heavy metals are actually toxic to the body. Our body is very complex with the way zinc, um, uh, iron, copper are interrelated, but they have these bad ones out there, uh, candium, mercury, uh, lead, that actually could actually cause these complex molecules that cause our, our proteins to cross-link and cause complications. The big one is neurological and, and kidney complications. So, Amit, let's jump in there. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that there's a lot of, I guess you could say, toxins that are being administered when people are getting the vaccine. Um, and with aluminum and with um, mercury and others, from a nutritional standpoint or supplemental standpoint, how do we flush those out of our systems? Uh, excellent question. Thank you. So I like to um, to approach that from a, a, a slightly um, more general approach. So we know that there are, there are three main phases of uh, metabolism in our system. So we can think about um, um, uh, binding things, whether they're starting materials, intermediates, or finished materials, and sort of chemically remove them from the body. And then there's, when we talk about um, metal toxicity, specifically things such as lead, such as um, mercury, different forms of them, or, or aluminum, once we know what's in there, then we can think about chemically binding those uh, via chelating agents and bring them out. So those are the two main areas. Of course, there's some information coming out that natural things such as cilantro, um, you know, they're also helpful. So we have these, these modalities in hand that we can help uh, better the odds in terms of ridding the body of, of those toxins and clear the metabolic pathways so things can actually exit the body. So is that in the form of a, a prescription or is that in the form of a, uh, a vitamin? Oh, um, so, so the, the main general one does not require a prescription. Um, um, so there, there are different products out there on the market. I don't know how much if I can, if I can um, say a specific product name. But the other ones that do require the chelate, specific chelating agents, they're prescribed. Um, there are some agents, for example, the, the uh, uh, DMSA, DMS, uh, uh, DSMP is one, uh, Soxomer is one. So those types of things we can think about, depending on the specific metal, what, what binds with that metal and moves it out of the body. Yeah, uh, Jim, at, at OptoBio, we have some chelating IVs with EDTA, DSMM, uh, the key is to make sure kidneys and liver work well. 
So Dr. Me Talk was beautiful. We did that, I think, last year about our body has a beautiful detox system of phase one, phase two, phase three. And the key is our body needs nutrition for each of those phases to excrete our poisons. There's four ways we get rid of our toxins in our body. Pee it, poop it, breathe it, and sweat it. So you don't want to hinder any of those. That's why it's very important to make sure that our body is, our filter, our kidney, and our liver is working properly to get these toxins out. And again, you can't live in a sterile environment, Jim. If you lock yourself up in a room for 30, for 20, 30 days, your immune system is not working. Now your immune system becomes atrophy, just like our muscles. It's got to be out there being exposed. Um, that's what's very interesting about our, our innate system, Jim, because we have, we hear about antibodies. That's not what kills to a vast bacteria and viruses. What does is a cell-mediated response. They're called Th1 and Th2 cells. Th1 cells is the cell, like picture an amoeba engulfing something. That's how our cell-mediated response works. And that clobbers it. An antibody is a production of that for certain other type of viruses. When it comes back, it's, it, it actually enhances the cell-mediated response because there are babies born with no antibodies. They're called agammaglobinemia. They're born with none of those, none of those in the thymus, no B cells. And if they get exposed naturally to measles or mumps, they are actually immune for life without a vaccine because it's a cell-mediated response that actually does the work. So... If one does get a vaccine, how soon thereafter should they try to, I guess, flush out some of these toxins? Well, Jim, part of the toxins is, first off, is understand a virus is not a real living organism. It's a piece of DNA or RNA, which is the, the, the genetic sequence of that virus to replicate itself, surrounded by an envelope of um, phospholipid, which is a fat and protein membrane, but it needs the machinery of a human or a, or a pig or a cow or some uh, an insect to go in there to replicate because it needs the messenger RNA. It needs the, the ribosome RNA. It needs the transfer. It needs that mechanism to replicate itself. So a virus in of itself can just live in our body for a long time, such as HPV. It just lives in our body for a long time. Every now and then it will replicate and cause other cells to grow. So what cells are they grown in? They're grown in monkey cells, pig pancreas, pig liver. 18 most common vaccines and some of the COVID vaccines are made in aborted baby cells. So now you're exposing our, a, a different human being to a different line of diploid cells. When you see the word diploid cells, you ever get to read the, um, the vaccine handout and it reads what could happen in there. If it says grown in diploid cells, that's a human fetal cell. They don't say that, but that's what it means. Um, so when you ask how long to get down the toxins, I think this, the better your body's prepared prior to the vaccine, such as keeping your vitamin D high, keeping your zinc high, keeping your quercetin, your A, your C, all these things that work in free radicals and antioxidants and help the immune system, when that's higher, I think that would be better if you decide to take the vaccine. Okay, because my question centered really around you're getting this vaccine, you're getting aluminum with it, let's say, and you don't want the aluminum in your body for a long period of time. Granted, I know the body will eventually flush it out. Um, but if you tried to flush out the aluminum too soon, would you then have, would you have a negative effect on the vaccine um, to do that? Yes, because understand the vaccine, the protein of the vaccine isn't strong enough to cause an immune response. Therefore, the aluminum is there because that causes the immune problem. 
the pro that it causes such a bad response, your body inflames. But then the aluminum being toxic, where's your body smart? Your body wants to get the aluminum in the toxic part of the body, which is stored fat. But what's the fattest part of your body? It's your brain. It's the aluminum. This is Dr. Paul Patterson from Caltech. He's shown that the aluminum itself in the muscle when it's injected is then bound by a thing called a monocyte, which is part of the cell mediated system. Then that monocyte goes from the muscle in the bloodstream into the part of the brain called through the blood brain barrier. And now he's the one that proved that the, the immune system in the body is different than the immune system in the brain. Now the monocyte becomes a glial cell in the brain. So the aluminum in it, then the aluminum is stored in parts out the brain. And then the immune system in the brain releases a cytokine, cytokine storm called interleukin-6, which causes an inflammatory reaction, but it cannot get rid of the vaccine, uh, rid of the aluminum. So your answer would be as soon as you possibly can. But the problem is that's part of the plan of the vaccine to stimulate your immune system. But the problem is it's, it's stimulating parts of the body. It should not just as the part of your brain. Well, I think you've already probably answered it indirectly, but can you walk us through the mRNA vaccine and why that's different? I know it has never been done before. Uh, so it's new technology, it's unproven, but what is the difference? How does it work? And what is actually, what is it supposed to do? Okay. I'm going to read Moderna from their website, what they say it says. But first off is DNA are two strands of nucleotides, nucleobases. One side is a code, A, T, C, or G. On the other side is the, is the matching one. Wherever there's an A, there's a T. Wherever there's a C, there's a G. It's a code. It's a quantitary code. So together is DNA. What happens is a messenger RNA unzips this, reads this code. Now our own body makes it. Then the messenger RNA moves, goes to ribosomes. It's like a typewriter and reads it. And then it hooks with what's called a transfer RNA amino acids. So it actually codes for protein. That's the way it does. So a messenger RNA is going to be a man-made one, Pfizer, Moderna, based upon a sequence they think will work that will go in, go use our DNA machinery, and then make viral proteins that are foreign to our body that will make our body now attack these viral proteins. Duke and University of Pennsylvania said, what we're going to do now is continually to make our, our cells into protein producers that are now anti our body. And they're very concerned about autoimmune diseases. So here's what it is. This is my definition for Moderna. It says, recognizing the broad potential of messenger RNA science, we set out to create a messenger RNA technology platform that functions very much like an operating system or a, on a computer. It is designed so that it can plug and play interchangeably with different programs. In our case, the programmer app is our messenger RNA drug, the unique messenger RNA sequences that code for a protein. So it's an operating platform. It's not a vaccine. And their hope is it just stimulates enough proteins so your body can recognize and attack it. There's a thing it's going to, it's going to recognize called a spike protein, which will make it more sensitive to this one particular one. The problem with the, one of the spikes proteins, Jim and Dr. Mead, 
is it actually will attack sin cytotropoblasts. What is that? That's placenta. And they know that. So it can't be, it's not always specific where they say it's going to be. And you talk about something, Jim, it's very interesting. I'm sorry I'm talking so much here, but it's very complicated. They've been using SARS COVID vaccine since 2003 on animals. The most physiological lung closest to humans is ferrets. So they give the ferret the vaccine, then and they have good response to antibodies, about an 80% response. Then they expose it to the wild virus. They have a hundred percent death rate of the ferrets because of the thing called a paradoxal response. What they've learned from the animal studies is that there's two types of antibodies, a neutralizing or so-called good one and a non-neutralizing. That one sets up this cascade of the paradox response when exposed to wild to make it attack itself. So that's not been answered in any studies. And understand this first wave of studies out in the public or the first wave of vaccines in the public is still a stage three or phase three study. It's not a final product yet. In fact, in the Moderna study, their study actually incorporated only 45 people, the age between uh, 18 and 45. The Pfizer study had 172 people and only eight received the vaccine. The rest received placebos. Based on your explanation of the mRNA, um, where it in effect creates a spiked protein, the body attacks it, wouldn't we be better off if we just simply took the COVID virus, put that in a vaccine, so the body's actually attacking the real virus? Well, that would be, that'd be optimal, right? But the problem with that is if when you read the DNA, when you read from the CDC, they've never isolated the virus. They don't have the complete sequence, okay? They, they got a part of the sequence. They used an algorithm from China to make up the DNA sequence, the RNA sequence to make theirs up. And this is word for from the CDC from August 31st, 2020. So the, the, actual, the actual virus has never been isolated. Um, so you talk about that's way to work, but here's the problem, Jim. In the Moderna study, in the first, they have two studies, two arms, one with 100 micrograms and one with 250 micrograms. And the 100 microgram uh, virus they had 80% side effects in the first round. They had 100% side effects in the second round. In the 250 arm, they had 100% the first time. And here's the app, this is the, the really thing. 80% of people that test positive for, for COVID spontaneously have no symptoms. So those who get it naturally, 80% they know they have it. And yet 100% of those who get the vaccine get symptoms and understand the criteria for the virus to say the vaccine for successful is not a cure, not a decrease in transmission. It's decreasing the side effects, the sniffles, the fever, and the, and the cough. It's not a cure or transmission. So I'm confused on a, on a virus that's 99.982% survival rate that we're taking a risk in this. That's my problem. We didn't talk about the adjuncts within the vaccine itself, like PEG. We know that's this polyethylene glycol that we know causes 70% autoimmune diseases. We know that from other vaccines. And the placebos within this study from Moderna and within Pfizer's study, Jim, they did not use normal saline. They used pneumococcal vaccine. They used another vaccine which has aluminum in it, has other proteins in it. So there really is nothing neutral about the placebo. The placebo should be normal saline. 
I mean, I, I don't know where to start. Um, so with that kind of a recovery rate uh, for the average American, and I assume that the recovery rate for, let's say, somebody over 65 is a little bit less. Is that correct? Well, possibly. Look at the, when you look at this, and we'll get to the COVID study in a moment, what, what RT-PCR testing really is, because it's very important to understand this. In 2007, the World Health Organization changed the definition of pandemic from cases of deaths to positive cases. In fact, in 2007, the New York Times said in the future, we might have a pandemic of positive cases because we changed the, the definition, the criteria, what a pandemic is. So when you look at this, Jim, we're looking at a taste of what's, what, what actually links this whole thing, Dr. Min and Jim, is the accuracy of the PCR test. Dr. Mullins, who invented the test and won the Nobel Prize for it, said it should never be used for an infection purposes because it's either a positive or negative. And what you have to do is you have to find a piece of tissue, your lung, um, a piece of tissue from our body. You got to get rid of all the background stuff and amplify the sequence you're looking for. Keep in mind, they've never isolated the whole sequence. At 17 amplifications, there should be a 100% positive rate. Anything over 25 amplifications, it becomes 90% false positive. The Quarren Dumar paper written by the health organization said we should do 45 amplifications. Fauci said, himself said anything over 37 applications is a waste of time because it's 100% false positive. And every test we're talking about uses at least 37, 37 applications. And again, this is in the CDC documentation. So I don't believe our test is accurate enough to make these decisions. But go back to what you said, Jim. If 80% of our people are asymptomatic and recover on their own, what's the rush for this vaccine? And this vaccine, Jim, does not, I hate the phrase vaccine, let's use Moderna. It's an operating system, which will actually put nanoparticles, actually called nano, nanobots, they'll actually use our bioelectricity to actually send off uh, electric current that uh, apps or servers could actually pick up. So wait a second. So when you say that servers can pick up, somebody on a computer can track people. Yes, that's what that's what they're talking about. That 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 was written. That that, that app was done at MIT. Again, this is all paper that's documented by Mercola Zero Hedge Fund, um, the CDC's papers themselves. So this is not make believe. I mean, the new the next wave of vaccines will not be an injection. It will be a a stick to your arm uh, with these micro gels with little micro needles so that you don't get the pain. But then they're going to have, that's what they'll be able to inject this directly into your gene. And uh, it'll actually be bioluminescent. So when that's peeled off, if you have an app that can read that, it can actually read that you got vaccinated or not. So there's more to this than just the medicine, the science itself. When I get places like the University of Pennsylvania and Duke University saying, whoa, let's hold back here because we don't want to make these proteins that our body can tap. We don't have enough studies. I think that should be looked at. We look at one of the, one of the nursing uh, hospitals in uh, New York had 190 had zero COVID deaths out of the 193 beds with the first round of vaccines. They had five de uh, 24 deaths. They stopped the vaccines immediately. So I think we're just too early in the study, knowing that we have the paradox response because of the non the non neutralizing bat proteins. Again, what I'm saying, Jim, is not is not to say don't do the research. I'm saying do the research fully and let's answer these questions first. Right. Well, when you know that if your vitamin D is above 30, your chance of dying is four in a thousand. 
When it's above 40, it's almost zero. And the average death of COVID age in America is 80.4. The average date death in America is 80.4. So I lean towards the idea of making our body as strong as it can be in this toxic environment that we can help fight natural vaccine, uh, natural bacteria, uh, decreased cancers, these things we can do when our body's running, running at a bit more optimal stage. I'm sorry I took the floor, Dr. Amid, but the science behind oh, how it works, I think is really, really important because when you read Moderna and Pfizer, they're calling it not a vaccine. It's a completely different mechanism that just happens to be injected or micro injections, but it's working a different process. It's not doing what you asked me, Jim, the first question. The first question you asked me was, what's a vaccine? It takes a piece of protein or a adjuvant to stimulate our B cells. This does not do this. This stimulates our, our DNA to make, to make special proteins that we hope will attack the virus when exposed to it. Again, first time ever it's been used, correct? First, first time in humans. There are some studies out of the Soviet Union that they've been using for 40 years and they've seen the, 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 the troubles of the paradox response. But again, we have uh, a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Child Defense Fund had a great uh, interview with one of the doctors uh, of that. One of the got retired guys from Pfizer, uh, one of the biotechnicians at Pfizer said this is we're jumping too fast because this technology is fully not known. But we do know about the paradox response. And that's really understand. We know that's fact in animal studies. Uh, that's why I think we're seeing people are getting the first round of vaccines. When they get the second round, they're having worse exposure because they saw that in the studies. Yeah, one more quick question on that. Why two doses? Because, because it does not stop transmission or decrease the, decrease the uh, severity of the disease. That's the problem, Jim, is they're, I'm not saying they're guessing, but they're guessing, right? If, the, if we know the coronavirus, which is the common cold, we can't make a vaccine for it because we know it's a cell mediated response or it's naturally it's not a antibody response the antibodies last one about two months so they've been having trouble with coronaviruses for years as early as about the late 2000 uh, excuse me 1970s there was one called the middle east respiratory syndrome the mers not the sars but the mers and they saw that back then with the paradox response trying to make a vaccine against it. this is nothing new jim what's new is the average vaccine is between 13 and 20 years from thought process to the, to the patients. We spun that 20 year process up to under 12 months. I don't get it with something as a survival rate of a death rate of 0.008%. Right. All right. Well, since we have this giant, highly successful recovery rate of over 99.7%, um, Hamid, Greg, assuming we don't take the vaccine, um, let's talk about some of the things that we can do uh, to hopefully protect ourselves. So we've obviously talked about supplements before, but uh, I, I noticed vitamin B, um, niacin, um, obviously D and C we've talked about um, before. Um, but can you kind of, Hamid, can you walk us through B, the Bs and and you know niacin and, and talk a little bit more about that and how that can potentially help um, build that immune system. Real quick, Jim, especially vitamin B1, thiamine. Spend some time on B1, that's crucial. Thank you. So um, yeah, um, the group of vitamin 
uh, vitamin B families are, are known, they have been known for a long time to help boost the immune system. They, they are cofactors, factors in, in a lot of different reactions that the body does every moment of every day, in particular fighting infections and, and things that the body uh, has to do. Um, so when we talk about this particular infection, it's interesting that uh, everything you mentioned, your C, your D, your B, your quercetin, and your zinc, they have been grouped together as either prevention or even the recommended in the early treatment stages specifically for, for um, help combating this COVID-19. I was checking and there's actually a clinical trial ongoing right now in the US that's looking at a mixture of vitamin C, uh, quercetin and zinc. So we do know that once we put these things together, you know, they, they, what they do, they um, improve the body's ability to fight. For example, we know that zinc um, 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 blocks the, the um, site where the M protein latches onto the cell in order to inject the, uh, the RNA inside the cell to get the cell to do its work. So vitamin D, we know that with, with all that it does, I really don't, don't like to call vitamin D a vitamin because it's really a hormone. When you look at this, the structure of it, when you look at its functions, you know, um, when you look at where the receptors are located for it inside the cell in the nucleus. So whenever you have a receptor for something somewhere, it certainly does, does uh, perform a function. And as, uh, as Dr. Greg mentioned before, the, the utility of vitamin D is way past beyond looking at, at uh, rickets, for example. I don't know how many cases of rickets we see these days in, in the U.S. And, and so I want uh, to uh, make a quick comment that the RDA, the recommended daily allowance of dosing, has nothing to do with optimal health of any of the vitamins, not for the vitamin D, not for the vitamin C. I mean, when was the last time we saw a case of scurvy? So... Um, these don't happen here where we are. So anyways, we, we got to make sure we have adequate of those on hand and not be afraid of, of the vitamin D levels. And um, I practice in Cary, as you know, Cary, North Carolina, for the past 15 years that I've been heavily involved in, in doing work with patients with vitamin D. I've only had one patient who reached the blood level of that hydroxylated form of vitamin D at 100. Uh, you know, as a reminder, most labs, they measure that form of vitamin D from 30 to 100. So if you're a 30, 31, you're told you're okay, you're within the range. So we know that there's a lot of heavily weighted studies that show that the higher your vitamin D level is, the chances of, of coming down with these remarkable diseases. I mean, right now we're talking about COVID. COVID, as Dr. Greg mentioned, is one virus of that coronavirus um, uh, family, but there are other diseases. We talk about, you know, cancer risks, other other things that we're not talking about in this talk. And vitamin D, an elevated level, it does it does help um, uh, statistically um, uh, less affliction with those. Um, at five thousand international units of vitamin D three a day, I think that that keeps us where we are and slightly inches us up on towards where we need it to be. So we don't need to be afraid of those levels. I don't really know what the 800 IUs and the 400 IUs will do. If you're low, they're gonna maintain you as low. So, um, um, so zinc, for example, itself, zinc is another one of those, those uh, uh, minerals that has been around a lot longer than humans have been. Zinc is in plants, animals, humans, we know it does, it has regulatory functions in more than 300 different processes in the body. 
And another thing that I'd like to mention while we're on that subject of, of vitamins, and vitamins, by, by, the way, by the way, by their technical definition, are things that the body cannot make itself. So we need to have something else to help the body make a vitamin. Vitamin D, we don't make it without the sunlight or, you know, uh, so anyways. On the, um, yeah, I, uh, so, oh yeah, another thing that I was going to mention um, uh, to complete the picture is looking at nutritional status of the person, of the patient, and also looking at the medication status. Many of our diuretics, many of our high blood pressure controlling medications do get rid of, they, they eliminate zinc in the body. So that's a part of the big picture we're going to look at, make sure we look at everything and, and make sure we have our Bs, Ds, Cs, quercetin, and, and so forth on board. You bring up an interesting point, because um, when you read, look at the CDC data um, for the at-risk patients, um, hypertension obviously is one of those diagnoses. And is it because they actually have high blood pressure that's causing a severe COVID response, or is it because they're taking the medication for the hypertension that in effect is draining the body of nutrients and therefore causing the body to have a higher COVID response? Well, one of the receptors that are actually in the COVID is called the ACE inhibitor uh, and uh, uh, ACE, which is anti-angiotensin uh, anti converting enzyme, would actually is in the lung. So this virus actually attacks that receptor. So if you're on an ACE inhibitor and you're blocking that, you're getting a double whammy. The answer is yes. So it may be the medication itself in that particular case. Um, when you look at, he was talking about some studies, Dr. Brownstein did a peer review study he has 122 patients he did with his protocol of C, D, zinc, quercetin, uh, peroxide. He has a 100% success cure rate, zero death rate with his, and it's a peer-reviewed study. Um, when, you, when you talk about the, the idea of the sequesteroid and vitamin D, that's crucially important too, because you talk about a, a, a substance, vitamin D, has a receptor within our DNA, okay? Not just when you look at our DNA, we have over 23,000 genes. Vitamin D has a receptor for 10% of that. That's not by accident. Therefore, it has a function. And a lot of the side effects that you have with the, the coronavirus or COVID is consistent with uh, vitamin, uh, vitamin D or thiamine deficiency, which we don't have in our food anymore because our food's so processed. So when you start looking at this kind of, it's called pyguria. So you start looking at the kind of symptoms, a lot of these symptoms that are cross-relating are vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D deficiencies. So when our body's uh, response, it, I think it's a, it's a great thing to, again, our body can cope with this in the right, in the right environment if it actually has that. But Jim, I want to, you brought something about the spike protein, but I was thinking about people get the vaccine, they can also become now positive for HIV because the one of the viruses they use to culture is called adeno-5 virus. And we knew, in fact, five, in fact, I'm looking at one of our studies here, the recombinant adenovirus type five was actually known for 10 years that when that is in mixed with a vitamin, they can get a false positive HIV positive test. How that affects somebody's life. Um, we know from the, the, uh, the vaccine and the flu in, in 2009, the pandemic, the, the flu vaccine they used in 2009, we knew back then about the paradox response. That's why it's important to look back at history. But I want to read a, a, a paragraph from Pfizer again, from a study from Guardian, real quick. Quote, the WHA protocols Pfizer used to produce the messenger RNA or the vaccine 
do not appear to identify any nucleotide sequences that are unique to SARS-CoV-2 virus. When investigators Fran Leader questioned the Pfizer, they confirmed the DNA template does not come directly from an isolate virus from any infected person. So again, what does that mean? They've never had an, a person that's sick found the virus in their body and isolated it. What they did was use a, a computer algorithm that would mark up for the SARS virus. So they're guessing on the actual messenger RNA they're using to make the proteins. So with that said, if I understand you correctly, this technology may not, may not even have the ability to produce the spike protein that's mimics COVID. Or what spike protein it does, because we know it's making ones against syncytotrophoblast. We know it's making one against ACE, uh, ACE inhibitors. We know that. So the answer is yes. I'm, I'm with you, Jim, on that. It's just, it's just what we're saying is coming from the CDC. July, July 31st, their first paper, they said the sequence that we're looking at comes from China, which they never got from an isolated patient. It's called Koch's principle. When a new virus is identified, it must meet 12 principles that it's a new virus. The most important was, do you see it? Can you give it to every scientist they could see it uh, within the tissue sample you have? And everybody's saying it's never been isolated. So the answer is, what are we looking for? That's my problem. Since Corona lives in our sinuses, it lives naturally. It makes 18% of all colds in general. On that note, once you do get COVID, are you immune? Okay, good. Are you immune from the common cold? The answer is so many variants. The answer may be no. It's just another variant. But again, back to our immune system, how smart it is. When it's exposed to a natural virus or natural back, uh, most natural virus, the innate system adapts. Now it becomes an acquired system. So now it's exposed again. It will beat it up again. Uh, if it's not the exact virus, it will help again because it's been exposed to it. That's why your muscles got to work. Being living in isolation does not make your immune system stronger. What makes your immune system stronger? Sleep is number one. Nutrition is number two. Replace what we have, what we're low on. That makes our immune system better and work. Um, I just really want people to understand, don't even believe a single word we're talking about. Do your own research. Understand, it's not, it, I know a lot of us have taken biology in freshman year in, in high school. Read what messenger RNA really is. Read what a vaccine, like you asked Jim, simply, what is it? What is a vaccine? It's a foreign protein, at a smaller level, injected into our body, and our body responds against it. So what's the messenger RNA? It's nothing like that. It's a completely different process. Has ever been used in human beings? No. Well, why are we going so fast? For something that is 99.982% survival rate. That, that, that refreshes me. But I want to take advantage of this time to not make people be scared. But what can they do? They can sleep, eat, and, and make their body strong enough to do better in the environment. There's a Japanese study from about 2003 that was about the flu vac about the flu. The flu vaccine says the CDC says it works 3.3 to 17% of the time, meaning it works by making the antibodies. If your vitamin D is above 40, the that you actually decrease the flu by 800%. Again, there's answers your body knows what to do more than 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 uh, as doctors we do. Just out of curiosity, both of you, uh, do you know of anybody that's gotten COVID? And if so, uh, what was their experience? 
Um, let me then let me add one thing to what Dr. Greg was was uh, mentioning. Two things. Uh, he mentioned sleep, and that's that's a really important one because it's to a lot of us it comes as free or very inexpensively, and it's something we think we know. We just take it for granted, but really, sleep is the cap of good health. Without that previous night's sleep, you know, not not reaching that rapid eye movement stage, a lot of good things just don't happen in the body. Another thing that I like to add is stress management reduction. We know from, from you know, non-COVID related, we know from other diseases that stress suits habit, habit on the uh, immune system's ability to fight infections. So whether, whether it's, it's true or physiological stress or even perceived stress, that's gonna be, have to be managed in order to give us better chances. Another thing is that when we talk about um, viruses in general, Viruses, they do make mistakes into when they reproduce themselves as they inject the genetic material into the cell. Bacteria do also make mistakes, but viruses do a whole lot more. That, that's another reason why it's difficult to have a, a, um, a vaccine for viruses because of the, the mutations that it does. Um, in terms of um, uh, do I know anybody, I have to... Um, uh, I have to qualify what I'm saying. My practice is not um, hospitals and it's not primary care either. Over the past oh, almost a year, we've been you know, looking at this. I have I've been informed of less than 10 patients, none of those patients. And I do make follow-up calls to see how they're doing. None have been, um, have been hospitalized. And um, so their symptoms have been rather mild. And that's from the feedback from the patient or the family. So, not even one a month, you know, based on my experience. Well, Jim, I go back to the testing again. If a test is 90 to 100% false positive, did anybody we know really have COVID? And if they've never isolated the gene sequence, how do we know what COVID really is? And why is there zero flu cases this year? So these are questions I just asked myself. Um, at the very beginning of our case, I talked about four ways our body gets rid of poisons every single day. One of them is breathing. Dr. Russell Blaylock just retired, one of the world's most famous neurosurgeons at LSU. He wrote a, just Google him up, he wrote a great paper on how there'll be increased meningitis, increased pneumonia if you wear a mask because we're re, re, rebreathing all these multiple viruses. Also, hypoxia. A red blood cell's function is to break oxygen in, carbon dioxide out. The transfused membrane in our lung would much rather hold on to carbon dioxide than oxygen by 200 folds. That's why breathing is so important. A room is 20.5% oxygen. Anything under 19 is bad for your body. Within 30 seconds, you have under 16%. So when you have hypercapnemia, you could get dizzy, you could pass out. Also, it increases high blood pressure within the lung and the systemic system. So that's why our body's built to breathe this stuff out. If we were told drink our urine all day, would we stop doing that or, or eat our stool all day? There's poison and toxins. Just because you can't see it does not mean it's there. Um, so I just want people, please Google Russell Blaylock. Please Google uh, uh, Dr. Brownstein's papers. There are studies, and you can look at, um, the, I forgot the man from Cambridge, the one from Stanford. Um, the guys from Duke and, U and the University of Pennsylvania talking about, you know, we have to just ho hold back a little bit here because, again, the studies were done on 40, 15 to 45-year-olds, but the first people they're injecting are 70 and 80-year-olds. No, it just doesn't make sense, Jim, at the pace we're doing when 
we can do things a lot more simplistically and healthier. What's the downside of vitamin D? What's the downside of vitamin A? What's the downside of zinc? What's the downside of thymine? What's the downside of niacin? There isn't any. What's the upside? Tremendous. And that's why I'm not saying don't take vaccines. Understand the mRNA vaccine is not a vaccine according to Pfizer and according to Mordina. It is an operating system that manipulates your DNA code. So I, if I, and I think the core, the American Medical Association, Jim, said that the core, the foundational cornerstone to ethical medicine is the informed consent. Please don't feel rushed when you get a vaccine or offered it. Ask for a full informed consent because you should know these numbers and, and then you can make a wise decision on what you think your risk factors are because I think that's the only way to, to do ethical medicine is to be informed consent. Um, Jim, I'd like to add one point to the, to the mask and uh, that is not um, for me to say use it or don't use it. However, let's qualify that. Let's you know, understand why we use the mask. Um, I've been through training for, for what I do on two separate occasions on something that's called an N95 mask. So the, the N95 mask, that designation number means it keeps 95% of the particles out. So it, it lets 5% of the particles in and they're, you know, certain size particles. And you have to be fitted, which means you have to put the mask here and they put a little, you know, another, you know, container up there over your head and they spray um, a sugar solution in the, in the confined space and they ask you to breathe. If you can taste it or if you cannot taste it, that's the, you know, that, that shows you if the mask is your size installed properly. And they, each and every one of them does come with a rating of time. For example, brand X will keep you, will be operating for two hours, for 90 minutes, what have you. So the idea of a cloth mask, uh, wearing it all day, or a surgical mask is not so that you don't get the, um, the the virus or particles or whatever is that's outside. It is so that you don't spread it, you know, up to up to the, the size of the holes of that. I just don't want us to have a false sense of security that the cloth mask is going to stop the virus coming in if the virus really is in the vicinity of the breathing. Just want to add that. Yeah. Also, um, the idea of the of the mask. When you look at the size of the pores, when you look at the size of how the molecules are, it's actually the, the virus is much smaller than the mask. But the, you're talking about the fitting is, is, is a beautiful idea of that. But I can't stress enough on the oxygenation part of our body. When I'm in surgery, there's more oxygen in the room because I have a mask on. And the World Health Organization came out in mid-August and they said, we know that the, the mask does not work from spreading this, but it makes people feel better. That's the World Health Organization, all right? Um, Fauci said before, in, uh, March 31st on 60 Minutes, never wear a mask if you're healthy. Because again, we know what it does. You're trying to expire these proteins, these viruses. You're trying to get the carbon dioxide out. When I see people driving with a mask on, it makes me so sad because they're driving a vehicle that could harm other people, let alone them and themselves, which is actually put in a position of being to pass out. So. It's just, it's just frustrating to see this, that the science is not there for that. Um, so again, not here or there. I want, all I believe, Jim, is I, want, I hope people want to be their best advocate for everything they do. So I believe knowledge is crucially important. And again, I beg people, 
Do not take what we're saying for granted. Do your own research, study, and try to make your own, your, your own common sense with this because infor informed consent uh, in anything is crucial. That's great advice. And um, I, you know, I think for those out there that continue to say, you know, look at the data, look at the data, um, no matter how you slice it and dice it, uh, whether, you know, 100% of the people may not be compliant, the data says that more people today are wearing masks than they did in June, than they did in May, than they did in April, yet we have more and more cases now. So clearly the mask is not the solution to the problem. Um, probably is the testing. I do remember reading when they were uh, trying to come up with an HIV test um, and the inventor, obviously, uh, to your point, Greg, uh, talked about the, um, the fact that that test should not be used for it. You know, he said that because of the cycles of tests, the PCR tests in the U.S. for HIV, you could test positive, then you could get on a plane and fly to Australia and get tested over there and you'd be negative because their cycles were less than ours were over here. Right. So, but testing is, I guess, another discussion topic for a future time. So uh, as we wrap up, um, if you're gonna give some advice since it is the new year um, to our, our listeners out there, um, can you give us five best practices for 21 that obviously we focus a lot today on viruses and COVID, um, you know, what advice would you give everybody if you had to, you know, give five pieces of advice? Amit? Well, um, sleep well, sleep well, and make sure that the, uh, the food plan or diet is one that is not a pro-inflammatory one. It's a, it's a, a sort of an anti-inflammatory diet, and you can pick those stuff up at any other grocery stores around here. Um, make sure to supplement with pharmaceutical grade supplements, and those are not the cheapest things on the shelves. They're not super expensive either, but you know, like anything else. Also, um, make sure to look, if you want to start somewhere, make sure to read the labels and try to look at high fructose corn syrup, not to be confused with fructose and the fruits. High fructose corn syrup is one of those things that's been shown to actually um, diminish the, the amount of vitamin D that we intake uh, in, in the cell. So, um, and, and focus on the mental health aspect of this whole thing. Remember, we look at the numbers. You know what they say, men lie, women, women lie, but numbers don't. So when you look at the, the death rate and the recovery rate of this thing, I, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and be reckless, but, but let's, let's put reason to it, bring it to reason. The mental health aspect of it cannot be underestimated, especially on the very young, on the children, on the, on the elderly and everybody else on professionals. So I think, I think uh, having a look at data, at science, what does it say and making a decision, whatever that right decision is for the individual, um, I'm all for that. As Dr. Greg um, says in his book, Liberty and Choice. So I think that, yeah, those would be my, uh, my advice pieces. Yeah, Jim, the first uh, Hippocratic Oath, right? Do no harm. And I think that's really important is to is to is to really focus and look at each individual like you talk about, not caution to the wind, but but look at the individual's needs. If they're immunosuppressive, there's other things like that. But I see I'm gonna repeat, Jim, but I really believe that the person in the mirror must be responsible for their own health. 
And that's why they're going to look for the doctors and pharmacists and friends and study and read help themselves. The, Dr. Paul wrote an article in, in April that said there'd be about 2 million deaths with lockdowns. And he was about correct. Depression, suicide, anxiety. We see that in our practice, how many people are coming for anxiety and depression. So what I want to help the people do is to be motivated to be cognitive of the power they have within their own brain and their own knowledge by studying and researching it. You know, you become catatonic, you become immobilized. That's when fear sets over. So the body is an amazing, amazing adaptive machine. Let, let it do its job. Give it the food, the sleep, the rest, the, the, the nutrients it needs. And um, I believe, Jim, I really believe things like this in real chaotic times is when strong principles will, will be like a candlelight in a dark room. So I'm hoping that, that, that each individual becomes that candlelight to understand, spark them to take their own health in their hands. And to understand what a, going for a walk with your wife is after dinner, uh, getting your eight hours of sleep of REM, um, putting away the, the high fructose corn syrup, those little things add logarithmical benefits to your life. And um, I wish them well. I, I, it's not a phrase that optimal is what I want. Optimal bio means optimal life. And that's our dream. That's great. I want to thank you both. And uh... Just continue to tell everybody, get outside, breathe that fresh air, take those walks, no high fructose corn syrup, take your vitamins, and uh, hopefully you'll be better off for it. But most importantly, please, please do your own research, gather your own information, Don't turn on the TV and listen to your favorite news channel and assume that they're always correct. Thank you both for joining me today and joining us. And... Um, Stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully we'll have you back soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.